My name is Jackson, and I'm the country director of Kids Connection AD, for which I've been working for five years ago. I met KCH after 2010. It gave me a spot for going to college, and that changed my life. I realized, as Mandela said, with education, we can change the world. It changed my life. Then I understand how it is important for giving, for providing sponsor to young people to get school. I'm very happy to become the first Asian sponsor. With your sponsor, we can change millions' lives. And if I can't do it, you can do it. Today in the podcast, I have a very special guest. Her name is Astrid DeVries, and she is the founder of Kids Connection Haiti. Now, on the Music Secrets Exposed podcast, our normal content here is music related. But every so often, we're going to diversify a little bit into other forms of content. And I felt that this lady has something really important for everyone to hear. And that is about Haiti, which few people talk about. And she has founded a charity which helps a certain age group of people in Haiti that nobody wants to go near and nobody talks about. And she was brave enough to go into that island in very difficult circumstances and make change happen. So Astrid, you're an amazing change maker. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Sylvia. Thank you so much for that nice introduction. It's wonderful to talk with you. It's, oh, well, the pleasure's all mine because, I mean, it's an important topic. I mean, I'm from Ireland and mostly when we hear about charity work, it's to do with Middle East, it's to do with Africa and these countries, but we seldom hear about what's going on in Haiti. And what I've learned from you is that Haiti is probably one of those worst place that you'd want to be in the world at the moment, considering all that's going on down there. And what's the population of Haiti? Uh, it's a little over 11 million. Oh, that's a lot of people in a small spot on mm -hmm. land, to be fair. Yeah. yeah, yeah. most people live in the capital. Yeah, over mm. in the city. So it's all yes. city dwellers. Mm -hmm. It's more complicated, I'd imagine, then, to try and get all the services figured out and that everybody needs in a city environment. But anyway, to backtrack a little bit, how did you start out on the journey of entering the land of Haiti and what captivated you about Haiti? Yeah, so that's uh, quite a long time ago, almost half a lifetime ago, I went to Haiti for the first time, um, really without knowing anything about the country. I had a dream as a little girl and for my entire youth, and young adult life that I someday wanted to work with orphans. And uh, it was something that just came natural to me that, that really appealed to me and I don't really know why. And so um, at one point I uh, had a job in Holland. I was not uh, married. 
uh, I didn't uh, own a house. And I said, but if I still want to make that dream come true, this is the time because at some point when I get old, it's going to be harder to leave my life behind. And I um, just started to apply with organizations who have orphanages all over the world. I found this wonderful organization who work in uh, 10 different countries. They asked me, where do you want to go? I just said, wherever you need me most. And they sent me to Haiti. And it was as simple as that. And um, I arrived there. This was in 1998. Uh, so 23 years ago, I arrived there. And it was um, an amazing experience just to land in that country and from the moment I got there I felt a, a sense of belonging this is exactly where I needed to be where I wanted to be and um, Haiti is not pretty like when you drive from the airport to your destination it's just like it, you don't see like oh wow what a beautiful Caribbean island it's not at all like that and that time and now they uh, improved the airport area a little bit. But at that time, it was very poor. You drove along the slums and you just see beggars on the street and all that. And But I knew this is where, this is exactly where I need to be right now. And it was true after I was initially going for one year. And after two, three months, I knew that one year was not going to be enough. And uh, I was going to stay a little bit longer. And I ended up staying for five years. Uh, living Five in Haiti years. yeah and that is uh over 20 years ago and I'm still working for Haiti obviously yeah but just uh, so from how my... so if you were to uh contrast or make a contrast between the Haiti you discovered in 1998 and those five years that you stay there or whatever and then you compare it to the way it is now what is the contrast like it was a certain way back in 98 and it's a certain way now so what's the difference between the two periods of time? That is a very interesting question. Um, so at that time, uh, the infrastructure structure was even less well-developed than now because uh, in 2010, there was this devastating earthquake where um, about 300,000 people lost, lost their lives, 300,000 people and a million people got displaced. And, um, after that, there was a huge influx of international organizations. So the infrastructure improved a little bit in 2010, uh, including roads and hospital, uh, hospitals and uh, water provision. So that um, is a little bit better than in 98 when I got to Haiti first. However, in 98, um, it was not very safe, but it was a hundred times safer than it is right now because the biggest challenge currently that unfortunately we don't read about in the in the news is that uh, there are over 150 gangs in Haiti mostly in the capital and they are terrorizing the streets they have taken over all the power like the government is powerless the armed forces the military hardly uh, barely exists and police uh, forces, um, they are um, not as strong as the gangs. They don't have as many weapons as the gangs. So the gangs have taken over, they rule the streets and uh, you really cannot um, visit the country anymore. You cannot even go there as a volunteer or a missionary. Um, it's extremely dangerous. 
in this year alone, there have been over 800 kidnappings. Um, um, and not just Haitian people are being kidnapped. 43 Americans have been kidnapped. And only recently, um, about three weeks ago, there was actually one case in the news of 16 American missionaries who were kidnapped at once. They're still being held and they're still, um, it's kind of secretive, so no, nobody really knows what's going on, but they have not been freed and the ransom has not been paid. But So it's all about, um, it's all about ransom money and that's what's driving the kidnapping. There are... The Yes, but there are a, a lot, several different levels of uh, of the the power of the gangs. So yes, they make their money with kidnappings, and that ranges from a small unprofessional gang for who asks for a couple hundred dollars from the poor people to really well organized, sophisticated gangs with lots of weapons who ask uh, millions from the rich people. Uh, but also the gangs uh, are now insisting that the current uh, prime minister steps down. This man, um, Henry, is his name. He uh, was appointed when the president was assassinated. And um, the people, uh, what I understand as, a, as an outsider, is the gangs want him out because they think he's corrupt. And they think that he's actually involved in the murder of the president. And he's under investigation for that as well. So, um, so now they uh, stated that they are not going to stop using the violence until this man steps down. So it is uh, politically, it's extremely complicated. And of course you hear from different sides, different stories. I am personally not in Haiti right now. I just want to clarify that. So everything that I tell you, I hear that from people who live in Haiti and who have been there for many years and who are not going to leave now because it's dangerous. So they are, they know what they talk about. They see it in their day-to-day -day experience. And I speak uh, uh, often with my country director in Haiti, Jackson, and in fact, just before this conversation, I spoke with him because I want to ask, like, can you give me the most uh, current updates? Um, what is going on in Haiti and how can we as an organization respond to that? So what I'm curious about is just to bring it down to kind of grassroots level, I suppose, is what is it like a day in the life of a Haitian? or even for somebody like yourself living there for a period of time? What's a day in Haiti like? I will tell you about my life 23 years ago, and I will tell you about how I imagine it is now for the Haitians. Okay, so I'll, I'll try okay. to keep it short. When I was living there, um, even as a volunteer, I was living in relative luxury because the place where I was living, that was a pediatric hospital for the poor, I lived there for one year, they provided me with half an hour of running water at six o'clock in the morning and half an hour of running water at night. And so I would fill my bucket and that's, uh, that water was to be used for washing, cooking, uh, bathroom, everything. And um, the hospital itself had generators to run and we had food provided for us. And, um, you know, the, 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 basic essentials as at least what we consider basic essentials it was minimal but we had it 
the people outside of the hospital, the poor people didn't have that. They would still have to walk miles with a bucket on their head to give to get their drinking water and their water for, for other purposes. And, and they did not have electricity. The state electricity would provide two to four hours of electricity daily. And so the people would then do everything that they, uh, all the activities for which they needed um, electricity. Um, there was sort of peace, there was poverty, but people were hopeful and they were helping each other. Um, what I loved the most is uh, that no matter how poor you are, um, you can always help each other. And if one person has a job and comes home with food, he, will, he or she will always share it with the children in the neighborhood. And I've seen that with my own eyes. They cook, and then as soon as dinner is ready, there's like 10 kids sitting there, and they all take a bowl of rice because their mom or dad might not have a job. I might not bring food on the table that day. So that's really beautiful. And I think that that's changing a little bit because of the fear. So what I imagine now... Um, is that people uh, stick more to themselves because you don't know who is involved in a gang. You don't know uh, what people are trying to get out of you. Uh, there's a lot of uh, young men in particular, because these gangs are young men. Um, they don't have the opportunity to go to school. Uh, they don't have a trade or diploma or work experience. So the last thing that's left for them to do uh, to survive is join a gang like how else can you make money so a lot of those young people go into gangs and um that is like heartbreaking that's their community it's it's in a sense yeah their community if you will yeah yeah and Bush, also what what i'm wondering is sorry to cut across you but mm -hmm. what i'm wondering is when you think about their living conditions like how many people would live in one hut or house or apartment space is the only way I can describe it. Like what, yes. what's that situation? So uh, apartments uh, sounds uh, really fancy. <laughs> so I'm sure I, it does. Yeah. <laughs> they are like, um, uh, you have a lot of uh, shanty towns in Haiti that are, that show different levels of poverty. So you have shanty zones where the houses are made from cardboard and metal corrugated uh, iron plates and whatever scraps they can find. That's the poorest of the poor, but it exists quite a bit. And then the next level is that a family shares a room, like a, a concrete room, um, often with a very small space uh, where they you know, have sort of a, a grill as a kitchen, like a barbecue type. Um, and then in that room, there might be a bed. Uh, usually, like the poor people might not have a table or chairs. They uh, sometimes have a bed. Sometimes they sleep on a mat. Very often, they need to take turns for the sleeping space because if you live in a space like that with 12 people, let's say mom, dad, and a bunch of kids, and often cousins and neighborhood kids or people who don't have places to stay, then it gets really tight. So sometimes, um, you know, people sleep in the bed, uh, several people at once, and then after a couple hours, they have to, you know, make space and the next shift of people can sleep in the bed. That is not uncommon in Haiti. It's, you can't even imagine, but those houses are crowded. And um, therefore, it's also... Um, I think very logical that most people 
live on the street. They don't spend a lot of time in the house because it's just too crowded. And imagine the consequence for COVID. Like we are trying to social yes, distance. Was, that's right. I was just going to ask you then about that, you know, with that situation there, and I presume there is no services in terms of waste management. So how is the health of these people? Like, what's that like? Just from the basics of living in yes. that way. Yes. Um, again, it is so complicated because there's it's very, very different than uh, what we experience. We are scared to get COVID and that we have to go to the hospital. But um, if you get it, there is a hospital, there's healthcare, you have a bed, you, you can measure your temperature, you can drink plenty of water and whatever. When you live in Haiti and you get COVID, it's just one of the diseases that you can get. Like people still die of diarrhea. There's uh, tuberculosis, uh, cholera. There's diseases that don't exist anymore in our cultures or in our, our countries. So COVID is just one of them. They um, So that's one thing. The other thing is if you don't have a dollar to buy food for your children, you're not gonna spend a dollar on a mask. So nobody's wearing masks. Uh, in a few places, it's mandatory, like in banks, but in general, people don't uh, spend money on masks. Um, and then you are constantly uh, so close to so many people, like the market places are always packed. Like there's no social distancing. It's just not an option for them. And then when you come into the arena of food, now you're telling me that I'm from Ireland, so I'm aware of the land space that we have and the, the supply chains for food and health and all that kind of stuff and what it takes for this size of a country. Now, Haiti, you have an incredible population. You said, I think 11 million. Where does all the food that they need even come from? Because it's a big population in a small yes. space. Uh, yes, well, um, there is uh, a, a lot of rural areas as well. So there are farms. And by the way, a farmer on average earns $1,500 a year, not a month, a year. So uh, this is uh, gives this shows uh, a little bit the level of poverty uh, currently, not just the farmers, but uh, 60 more than 60 percent of the population lives under a dollar a day so there's extreme poverty there right now um, there's um, food scarcity it's really difficult to get food uh, it's also expensive sometimes it's cheaper to buy imported food to, to buy a can of tomatoes than to buy the local food um, so food scarcity is a, is, a, is a big problem. And then the high prices, the inflation is a big problem. And um, the, um, I mean, yeah, I, I'm not quite sure what else I can say about it. It's just very difficult. Imagine not having a fridge. Um, if you don't yeah, have a fridge or a cupboard. Kind of hot. It's, yeah, is it very hot? the it's weather there hot. is it it's very tropical. humid and yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah so you go to the market every day to buy your food you can't store it in your house you make every day your food and you eat it and uh and that's why the markets are such a big day part of their daily lives there is no uh life uh, possible uh without Outside, the market it's market. a big gotcha. yeah yeah yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now you founded 
a very much of a change making charity or change maker charity because you decided to form Kids Connection Haiti. That's the name of your charity. But explain how you founded it and who you focused on through this charity, which is really interesting and why you did that. Yes. Um, so I always I'm very happy that you asked me. I love Kids Connection Haiti. Um, it is a an amazing organization. And yes, we do make a big change, but on a small scale. So we are not a huge organization. We are actually relatively small. Uh, but I've always said from the beginning, even if we only can change one life, then it's already worth it. And that's that was uh, more than 10 years ago. So we've touched hundreds of lives over the years. Um, so our focus is young adults uh, who are orphans uh, between the age of 18 and 25. So most of our kids come from orphanages or they come from homelessness uh, situations or sometimes they come from um, uh, what they call restavec, which is a child slavery situation. It's uh, a concept that's quite common in Haiti, but it's of, of course uh, awful that that still exists. So all our kids are um, traumatized somehow at, at some level, but they're not kids as in young children. They're young adults. And I believe that this is at the age where um, a lot of the decisions that they're making now and the opp opportunities that they're receiving now will make the biggest change or the make biggest impact on the rest of their life. When we were chatting before the uh, interview there, uh, you told me that there were other charities that actually wouldn't touch this particular age group because they felt they were lost cause because they were more or less influenced and conditioned to be a certain way, but you thought different. And you've seen major success stories through your work. Can you just yes. explain how do you, how, what do you do within your charity? And yes. what sort of changes have you seen in people's lives? Yes, it's really amazing. So uh, I was inspired uh, to, to uh, found Kids Connection Haiti. I was inspired by the kids that I knew from the orphanage that I had been involved with for the first 10 years of my Haiti uh, connection. And uh, I was in contact with some of the young adults who left the orphanage and they were smart kids. They were good. They were happy, but then they left the orphanage and then suddenly they were by themselves because an orphanage cannot take care of a young adult or an adult forever. They need to make place for, for younger kids. And so I started helping a few of them by offering a little bit of money for micro business or money to finish trade school or to help them start a business. Um, and uh, th these kids were the uh, inspiration and the beginning of Kids Connection Haiti. So what we do, um, so imagine, I, I want you to, to think of this, imagine being 18 years old and uh, you are, have no family, you have no relatives, you don't have a home, you don't have a diploma, you don't have work experience or a social safety net or money. You literally have nothing. How can you get your act together? Where do you even start? Like, and that is the question, like it is so complicated. So I saw kids coming from orphanages who were doing well during those years at the orphanage, but then after a few years being independent, they ended up in gangs, in prostitution, or as beggars on the street. And that's not necessary. If, they're, if they would have been offered the tools 
and um, some uh, trusting adults in their lives who can, you know, hold them responsible and keep them on track and, and give them the financial support that they need. So what we do is we provide them um, with financial support for school to learn a trade, but we also offer uh, life skills because if you have never experienced one-on-one -on -one time with an adult, there's a lot of things that you're missing in your education, in your upbringing. So we are offering life skills training, a career development, community service. Like it's a holistic package that we offer. And it is just amazing to see a change. And I would love to tell a quick story um, because I have, and this is really uh, why I do it. And I can't, I can't tell all the stories, but this uh, girl that I know um she I, and I knew her from the orphanage so I can tell her story from the beginning and that I met her she was um you know maybe around eight when I met her um at that time and uh, maybe a little bit younger I'm, I'm not quite sure but anyway I uh she arrived at the orphanage where I was volunteering and and she I, I caught her a couple of times eating from the trash cans. And that was bizarre, bizarre to me at the orphanage. And then I, and, and I, and then I found out uh, her background was she was an orphan, but she was raised by her grandmother who was extremely poor. And so they were, their life was to go out in the street, beg for food money, but sometimes they didn't have enough. So they had to eat trash. And so when, when this girl arrived at the orphanage, she didn't know that she would be provided with three meals a day. So she didn't do this forever. She just did this for in the beginning, like maybe a couple of days, a couple of weeks until she realized, hey, this is a good place. I get three meals a day here. And so she turned out to be a smart um, student. She was academically doing well. At some point, she had to leave the orphanage and she came in my program. She was one of my first students. And uh, she had finished high school within the, uh, within the institution of the orphanage. And then um, as she had been such a good student, she asked us for support with uh, studying. Um, um, and of course, I'm, I'm, diplomacy and international consulting, something like that. International diplomacy, that's the word. And so she did, and she did a four-year study um this uh this is a, a, a school that prepares you to become ambassador or working at a you know um consult for your country and lots of languages they learn there and things like that and she finished in four years and then she ended up working for another international organization and uh, helping kids like herself um with uh with their education and things like that so it's just amazing and she now has her own children and the beautiful thing is if somebody goes to school their children will also go to school if somebody's illiterate is the chance is very small that their children go to school but if you have an education it's more logical so her children are going to school so that's just i'm almost unbelievable that somebody from such extreme poverty ends up studying diplomacy yeah yeah unreal yeah. contrast yeah 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 and it's incredible um, yeah and and when i was uh 
working as a volunteer and you have to stop me because I can go on and on and on. But one more, one more, like I, I was living at the hospital and I was making friends with the street kids and they were like little boys and I always loved that. They, they were, they were just fun. And you know, those kids were the reason why I fell in love with Haiti in the first place. I was always hanging out with little street kids. And at some point I left Haiti uh, this boy, one of the boys, um, managed to get through uh, elementary school, high school, and then um, and because he knew other people, um, volunteers who had supported him financially with those things, but he was smart. He, he knew he did not want to be in a gang. That was the obvious choice, but he chose for the academic path. And then he came into my program and he studied IT uh, sciences and he graduated last year. And um, he, I see him now as a young man, he's probably 25-ish now, and he has built his life, you know, and he is financially independent. I mean, it's not easy. It's not easy for anybody in Haiti. They work hard and they struggle. But just to see somebody finish uh, high school, finish university, uh, have a trade and then start their own little business and make it work and bring food on the table. That is it's everything. Yeah, it's everything yeah. for them. Yeah. It really is. KCH means a lot of things for me because because of KCH, I have the opportunity to go to school to learn what I love like I I hope to, to become a good doctor because of KCH so where does your support come from financially how does that work itself out like are you raising finance all the time or have you got support just to keep you going in this work yes well um Unfortunately, I'm not a super wealthy person. <laughs> so I have to ask people around me all the time to help me. Um, and it's like wonderful, like people um, get inspired because they see the difference uh, that we make in the lives of those uh, young adults. And it's really concrete. The impact that we make is so clear. And we've been so successful. Uh, just to, to tell you one person, uh, yeah, one uh, statistics. Um, it has changed a little bit this year because of the violent situation, but we used to be at 92% employment within the graduates from my program, which is extremely high. And how many uh, people are you working with? Do you know what I mean? In, in your program at any one time when things are normal, we'll say. Yeah, so we were, um, like two years ago, we had 100 students in our program. Currently we're down to like 70 maybe, um, just because everything's harder, everything's more expensive and it's, it's just really complicated to work in Haiti. But um, as I mentioned before, it's not so much about the quantity, it's really about the quality that we deliver. So our funds come from uh, sponsors mostly. 65% uh, of our income is uh, monthly sponsors, people like you and I who donate a certain amount every month. And then we have some small grants and some fundraising events. Where can people go to, to donate and sponsor? Your program have you a website or yes do you do is yes. it all online all accessible we have online a, we have a good website it's uh kidsconnectionhaiti.org and you will read about our programs we're quite active on facebook you will find daily updates not only about our program but also really good information about what's going on in the country that week 
And then we have just some other fun things uh, there, like about the Haitian culture or little stories about our students. So um, on Facebook, the, our um, link is at KC Haiti. So you can find us there as well. Yeah, I link that all in the, in the podcast description oh, great. below. Mm -hmm. Now, what things can people do to help you? I know money's the major part of it. I get that 100%. But is there anything else that people can do to help Haiti in general? Yes. Um, I want everybody who prays to remember to pray for Haiti. Uh, I think Haiti is greatly forgotten because it has seen so many problems in the past. And maybe people are tired of it. But this is real life for the Haitians. So even though for us it gets almost boring, like, oh, again, more trouble in Haiti, like those people really need our support. And I think prayer is extremely powerful. Uh, so if you do pray, uh, please remember uh, the safety and the well-being of our Haitian friends. That's one thing. Uh, then um, sponsorship is the most consistent way of helping us. It's our bread and butter. It's something that we can count on. Uh, so that's something financially wonderful to do. And then there's other thing you can uh, volunteer for my program or for other uh, organizations. You can absolutely not travel to Haiti right now. Um, just check the, the uh, American embassy. They just posted, uh, you know, very harsh recommendations. Basically, if you go, be prepared to die. That's the, the point of view right now. So don't go to Haiti right now. But there's other ways. It, it sounds like it's a place that needs UN intervention or something on those lines to try and bring some sort of semblance of order and safety. I, I totally agree with you. I don't see any other way out. Uh, that it's so unsafe on the streets. And is there, any interest, is there any interest from the UN? Is there any lobbying going on in terms of charities and so forth trying to make, you know, communications happen with the UN to make change in that regard? Unfortunately, it seems not to be a priority. I know that uh, countries are talking about it and there's at some level uh, some push for international governments to get involved or for the UN. But so far, um, no commitment has been made. But I know after the earthquake, the UN came in with the peacemakers and they did a lot of wrong, but they also did a lot of good. And so in spite of the problems that they caused, I think, uh, they they are a presence, you know, they they are so powerful that at least they can bring back peace. And uh, without peace, it's really hard to rebuild the country. It sounds like I've only one word in my mind, a hellish place at present. And I can't imagine what it must be like there, to be honest. I mean, it's beyond Africa. It's beyond even the Middle East with Syria, Afghanistan and all of that, because I've listened to other uh, podcasts on the subject, for example, of Afghanistan. And I know Syria's had a very tough time. They've been bombed a lot. But, you know, there's a semblance of order there anyhow. And there's a semblance of people coming together without incredible fear, like you're describing in Haiti, of kidnapping and so forth. How can a country get on their feet with gangs at you know, yeah, and across the streets and corrupt government. And whatever. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, another thing that the gangs are doing that we haven't touched on uh, right now is uh, they are um, 
partly responsible for the oil crisis in Haiti. And that is huge because they stopped the trucks from getting into the, like out of the port. And they steal all the gasoline, basically. So um, the, there's no gasoline available. I think on the black market, you can get it for 25 US dollars or 30 US dollars for a gallon. Uh, so that means that all public transportation is closed. Uh, 50 hospitals had to shut down already because they cannot run without gasoline because they depend on generators because there is no electricity from the government, which is even less than in the past because for the uh, electricity, they also need gasoline. The uh, telecommunications are down because the internet towers need gasoline for their genera generators and inverts. So just imagine all the uh, the extended effect of a country not having access to fuel is huge. And so again, this is uh, mainly caused by the gangs. Um, if, if the UN or another um, peacemaking force can control the gangs, then these problems are also um, eliminated. They can be tackled. Yeah, exactly. It's it just sounds such a horrendous situation at present the way you're describing it's it. It's unbelievable. Just sounds beyond like, you know, I know in the West here we complain about sickness and illness and that's the big topic of our day. But I think these people, I don't know how they survive at all, to be honest. It just sounds horrendous. But I do know one thing in the worst of places, and Haiti's one, probably the worst, I probably expect there's communities there coming together, just making life work in an amazing, crazy situation. Absolutely. And, um... and I'm sure where you have this massive contrast of all these issues and problems that are overwhelming, suddenly you see these people coming together in an amazing way. Oh my gosh, that is so true, but also the positive uh, spirit, you know, like it is, it is, um, the resilience to oh, keep going. Almost, the, the resilience, uh, it's a word that we use a lot for uh, Haitian people, but it's so true. I remember one time we had a meeting, a group meeting with our students about how to start a micro business. And this girl arrives and she was wearing a dirty t-shirt and some dirty clothes. And she's like, I'm so sorry, Astrid, um, I look so dirty, but you know, last night we had a flood, you know that, right? There was like a big uh, rain storm, a tropical storm. And my uh, house was basically uh, white away by the rain I lost everything and so this was the clothes that I was wearing so I'm, I'm really sorry I'm like oh wow I'm so sorry like can I do anything and and she kind of quit she stopped me from talking not only that not only that she's like but can we start the meeting now like she did not it was unbelievable. She was just so focused on the positive, like what we can do. We can have the meeting now, even in my dirty clothes. I don't need to talk about my misery. Let's just move on and do this. Isn't it true, though, that there's two mindsets? You have the, the person that focuses on the problem, but then you have the person who focuses on the solution, as bad as things are. And they're the people I that, know. that come. It's, it's amazing, the contrast. Yes. Yes, and it's almost as if it's more necessary when you're living through more desperate situations, you have to look at what is good because otherwise, you know, I don't think you can survive. It's, it's a, a surviving a mechanism, a coping mechanism, maybe, yes, very true. as well. 
you know, in Haiti because of the lack when, of... When it comes to um, females in particular, because I often think they're probably the gender that probably are most vulnerable. Um, and they're mm -hmm. probably the ones that need most protection, I would imagine. Is that the case? What's mm -hmm. the story with females in particular? Yes, um, the females are more vulnerable. There is uh, culturally a, a shift going on as well because it's very common for a man to have several children with several women and never getting uh, married with any of them. And then the woman ends up being responsible and take all responsibility for the family. Um, that has been widely accepted, but I think women and, uh, and also the, um, the, the fact that men can do whatever they want, basically, and that women just have to do whatever the man decides, but the women are the pillars of the society. They are the ones who always work because remember, they are responsible for their kids. So they're the ones who will, will work the hardest to find a job to become a vendor, street vendor, or sell something on the street or uh, whatever they can do to, to survive. But I think there's a little bit of a shift going on. Also within our program, we have a women's empowerment element. And I see that in other organizations as well. Uh, we call it no means no. And it teaches girls that it is not okay that you're being touched or are called names or whatever. And, uh, and that you have to write uh, to stand up for yourself, even uh, to your employer, and that you don't have to sleep with a man just because he pays for your meal. And these are things that is really difficult to change because it's so normal. They don't see that as prostitution. They, uh, and I, I don't like to say they, so I'm not generalizing, I'm not saying that everybody is doing that. I'm just saying that it's very normal in Haiti, very often when you're poor and somebody, a man provides you with food or for money, that you uh, give a sexual favor in return. And, and so this is something that is uh, uh, a change that we need to teach, not only the girls, but especially the boys as well. Like this is not how we work together. That's a big so, re-education um, process to, you know, tackle. Yeah. Yes. Well, yes. Astrid, yeah. you've shed light on Haiti in a way that's very raw and real. And um, this story definitely needs to get out there. To the broader public so um what's your website again can you just say your website domain again it's kids connection it's connection haiti.org yeah. and everyone can find all the details there well it's a pleasure to speak to you and it's very unfortunate that we have to talk about such a topic in this modern world in the 21st century but it's happening and it's our responsibility for those of us who can do something to do something even if it's just give a few dollars as a form of support to try and help these people it's our it's our duty really. absolutely it's our duty so um i wish you well and um keep us updated with any developments as well we'd love to hear how things go in haiti as we head into 2022 thank thank you Pleasure. so much thank you so much Pleasure. sylvia okay my name is morgan i'm a former student and now I'm working for this building forward program. I'm gonna quickly share with you my function. Firstly, I'm a community services coordinator. My job is to plan services for all students and orphanages and public places and so on. My second function, what I really love, 
have Jackson assistant. Basically, it's all. And I would like to take this opportunity to thank everyone who support this big and love program. Thank you. Vamos lá, pegar a nossa, vamos lá, 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 v